is so good to be with you all again today, and I've been looking forward to be able to preach this message, and I, you know, I'm just, we're just so grateful to be able, and it's again, um, wasn't a great day last, or a great weekend last weekend to celebrate our 20th anniversary. It was just a great time. I thought the music was great. It was great to have Pastor Gary here along with his wife, Kim. And, you know, one of the things that uh, Gary had highlighted up here with me, and I think it was really important, is that he highlighted one of our fundamental truths that we find in our core values of the church. And, and he talked about hospitality. The very beginning of our church was really, that was one of the foundations. As a matter of fact, we have our core values. And if you don't know what our core values are, they're actually posted actually up on the wall. You can see them as you walk out in our narthex. And so one of our core values today, I want to talk a little bit about generosity. So last week we talked about the, you know, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter. And so we, you know, and we're actually working backwards. So, um, you know, last week we talked a little bit about the bread and butter mission, once again, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we talked about our vision to be a thriving body of Jesus Christ, well, once again, to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus Christ into the world. And so we're really grateful for that. So we're grateful for our mission. We're grateful for our vision. We're grateful for all the core values. And so we're also just grateful for our generosity that God has placed upon our hearts. Once again, Mr. Wesley said, listen, the true question for us to think about, the existential question is not so much about how much we have, but really how are we really living our life for Jesus Christ? Who are we? It's a deeper, much deeper level. So listen, uh, today I want to share with you all, here's the, the second, the parable in between these. You've got the parable of the ten bridesmaids, you've got the parable of the, of the least of these you give, uh, um, given unto me. Um, we talked about that last week, and we call that the, the judgment of nations. And um, I talked a little bit about how a win, W-H-E-N, leads to a win, and how important that is. And so uh, this week, let me just read a little piece of scripture here. And I love this parable and I have a chance to, well, hopefully we'll learn something new about today. So this is the parable of the talents. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his his servants and entrusted his property to them. And to one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and to another one he gave one, to each according to his ability. And then he went on his way. The one who received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who made two talents made two more talents. But the one who received the one talent went off and, well, he dug a hole in the ground and hid it, his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and selected, uh, settled the accounts with them. And then the one who had received the five talents, well, came forward bringing forth were five more talents, saying, Master, you handed me to the five talents. See, I've made five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been trusted with a few things. I will put you in charge of many, many more things. Enter to the joy of the master. And the one who had two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been trustworthy with a few things. I will put you in charge of many more things. Enter to the joy and the master and then the one who had received the one talent also came forward and said master i knew that you were a harsh man reaping where you did not sow gathering where you did not scatter seed so i was afraid so i went and hid your talent in the ground here you can have what is yours but his master replied you wicked and lazy slave exclamation point you knew, did you, 
that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter, then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with a, well, just some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the 10 talents. For to all those who have more will be given and they will have an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even when they have, will be taken from them. As for this worthless slave, throw him out in the outer darkness for where there will be reaping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And amen. So, you know, the question, you know, Mr. Wesley's got this question for us to kick around today. You know, who are we? And then I think maybe what maybe Jesus is trying to get to here is maybe this deeper question you know how are we how are we using what God's given us and uh, so I was thinking this week about you know Jesus is always trying to get us to go deeper I really believe this so immediately you know this is what I because I think that sometimes we have a tendency just to kind of look at the scratch the surface at what when we read these stories of Jesus so immediately when I started thinking about just beneath the surface you're you're gonna love this my all-time favorite show these days let me show you a picture it's called Curse of Oak Island. I love that show. It's on the History Channel. I know, if, you know, I mentioned this about a few weeks, actually a couple of months ago. And so it's coming back. It's on November 2nd at 9 o'clock. If y'all want to tune in, it's really, really good. Matter of fact, uh, Rick had actually found one of those, a cross that was actually, I shared with you all a few weeks ago, that was um, found on the island. It was a, actually a cross from the Crusader period. And they're thinking, how in the world did a cross from the Crusader period actually end up on Oak Island up in Nova Scotia? So they've been digging for the last nine years. This is a Season. They're on the ninth season and they continue to scr- just literally scratch the surface and they continue to find these little treasures all throughout the island. And then they recently they found that they started digging deeper, way down deep, and they call it the money pit. And so they actually, as they drilled these little wells, they actually were able to take and do the scientific data. I think this is amazing. And they ran the numbers on the water that they were pulling up. And they realized that when they did the scientific data, that silver had been leaching out of the water. And the scientists who came back with that data said to Rick and Marty, and they said, well, how much silver is down there? And he said, there is a boatload of silver down there. And they just have to figure out how to get to the boatload of silver. And so I was thinking about that this week, about you know reflecting upon how Jesus is always trying to get us to go deeper in our faith and our deeper in, as he teaches us these remarkable stories, these, these parables. And sometimes we have a tendency to just kind of blow through them and we just look and we settle for just what's beneath the surface. I think Jesus is always wanting us to look for the treasure. And I think there's some treasure here. It reminded me that my, one of my best friends, his name is Chris Constable, he, um, he lived in Boynton Beach with me and he was such a strong advocate. He just loved me and loved my wife and him and his wife, um, Leanne, were just great people. Our kids played baseball together and so Chris and I became pretty good friends. And Well, you know you're a re- he's a really good friend when he goes up and he's literally de- willing to go to the Boston Marathon with you and here's a picture of him and the first thing he hands you when you cross the line is a Mountain Dew. I mean, that's a true friend. I want you to know that. <laughs> And so, uh, so Chris, when his, um, about, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, his father died. 
And so he said, Harold, would you go to the funeral with me? Now, he, we lived in South Florida, and um, his mother and father lived in Destin, Florida, which is up in the Panhandle. And it was at the United Methodist Church up there. And I said, sure, Chris. And he said, well, listen, um, I've been able to work. He worked for a, a company. And so they had, a, they had like this lease with this private jet thing. And he says, um, I, would, you, would you be willing to be able to ride on our private jet up there? I said, well, sure. I think I could work that in. And so, you know, the greatest thing about riding on a private jet is you could get all the soda pop and chips and it's free. I would love that, you know? You don't just get peanuts. No, no, no. They go big if you get a private jet. So we flew up to, to Destin, Georgia. I mean, Georgia, Destin, Florida, and we had a chance, and we uh, went to the memorial service. And so I thought it was really interesting. And listen, I, you know, I've been a pastor for 32 years, and, and so what's very powerful to me is what people say at other loved ones' memorial services, especially the ones that they love the most. And so usually what happens when I, um, you know, I've had, this, and this has happened to me many, many times, and I've literally just sat over there to the side, and I just reflect upon what people have to say, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, it's amazing to hear the stories. And so this is the, you know, out of all the things that Chris could have shared about his father, this is what he shared, and I'll never forget this. He got up, and he shared, and he's talked about how when he was a kid growing up, his father is pretty frugal, and um and there were many times that as a kid, and you all can relate to this, he would ask his dad for something, like he would go through the, and he would, maybe some kind of toy, and his father's response was, was always no. You can't have that, right? He, say, he would say, wait for your birthday, or wait for Christmas, or wait for something, and so it was always no, 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 no. One day, they actually had saved up their money as a family, and they went to Walt Disney World. This would have been back in the 1970s in um, early 80s, and so they went to the Pirates of the Caribbean. So you know what? When you go to the Pirates of the Caribbean, guess what it re get, re you get released into? A, well, it's called um, a store, right? It's a, you know, they have all these little trinkets, and so he picked up this little trinket. It was some kind of little pirate treasure thing. And he, already, he's, he wanted to ask his father, can I have this? And he already knew the answer was going to be no. And before he could even ask the question, for the first time in his life, his father said to him, Chris, would you like to have that? And he said, yes, Dad, I would love to have this little treasure. So his father bought it for him. He says, you know what? It was the greatest day of my life. My father said, finally said, yes. And I thought it was very powerful because of all the things that reflected upon his life and his love for his father, I thought it was very powerful because... It wasn't, at the point, at that point when he was a child, his father and his, he realized his love for his father and his father's love for him was almost like, it was like it was wrapped up in this little treasure. This, it was a possession. But as a grown man, you know, like 35 years later, as reflect upon that little story, it was the true treasure was really not in the possession. The true treasure was in the promise and the promise was that he knew with the shadow of doubt his father was always going to love him. Now, how did he come to that conclusion? Because he had to go deeper. Um, this last week, um, we uh, was uh, invited and we went over to our mentor-mentee uh, family picnic. Um, and it was just so, it was great. We, you know, we have about 60 kids that we sponsor and we, and it's so grateful. Many of you all are mentors for these beautiful kids. And, and so I got up and they asked me to, you know, to share a few thoughts and, 
And I gave the opening prayer, which, you know, I'm always like the designated prayer. I'm actually pretty good at praying. And, um, and so I had a chance to pray. And, and so um, what was very interesting is I shared with the kids. I said, you know, one of our goals is with being kind of partnering with you as New Covenant is that our goal is to help you get to the finish line. And for the finish line really is, you know, help them get to the point. What I meant by that is help them to graduate. And so we're making a commitment to do that. And the reason why we're willing to make a commitment to do that, because we really believe, and you ready for this? We believe that you're our kids. Did you get that? When we say that, when you say that, that's a really big deal because we really are taking ownership of you. We believe that you're our kids. And you know, ultimately what I was saying to that we were, we're going to love you. We're going to continue to stand by you until we get you to the finish line. And so what was very interesting, um, we had a family picnic, and they, so we had all these boxes. Matter of fact, I don't know if you had a chance to pick that picture up on the screen. So this is Elaine Bucky giving out these little boxes, and we had pulled pork sandwiches that Chef John put together, and two cookies, and that's a, a potato salad, and some potato chips, and it was just a nice little picnic dinner that we had in these little containers, right? And so... Um, so what was very interesting, at the end of our time, and Ann Foothill shared with me about the story, we had a, she always orders extra. And the reason why she orders extra is because she knows that there are some people who are part of our kids, who are part of our families here at New Covenant, are part of our mentor program. Well, guess what? They're struggling with life. And they can always use food. So she orders more because she knows that she can give the food away and let them take it home with them. So she knew there was two families there that were really, really, truly on the poverty level. And she knew which ones they were. And so at the very end, and what I love about Ian is she was so gracious in how she handled this. Instead of saying, hey, would you like to take some food home with you? No, she didn't say that. She said to these two little families who she knew that they could really use the food, she says, can you please help me? Yeah, I would really be honored. You know, we have all this extra food left over. Listen, can you just maybe take some of this food off of our hands? And, and so, so she said, and they all go, we would love to take some of this food. Now, matter of fact, one of the families doesn't live in a trailer park. They live in a campground. And then they said to Anne, as she begins to put together a box with these little, these little, lunch suppers to go. Um, they said, Miss Ann, do you think that we could take maybe a few more of those? And she said, well, sure. And, she, and then they said, we would like to share with whatever you give to us to all our other friends and neighbors in our campground. And then they said, the reason why because there have been times at which we've had nothing and they've come to our rescue and they've taken care of us. This would be a great opportunity for us to reciprocate and take care of them. Wow. I mean, I just preached on this last week. Sheep taking care of the sheep. The least taking care of the least. To me, that's going deeper. That's not superficial stuff. 
This is the core of what Jesus continues to teach us about loving each other. Dear friends, let's just love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love just each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. Does that sound familiar? It should because guess what? I read it last week. And guess what? You're probably going to get again next week. <laughs> Just love each other. So I was thinking this week and, um, about stewardship. And so I, 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 I found these four little questions. And I think they're actually very truthful questions. And we have to be honest because they're really bread and butter questions. They're, they're not superficial questions. They, they, are, they hit at what Mr. Wesley says and asks is not how much do we have, but it really is at a much deeper level of who are we. And here are the four questions. As a matter of fact, if I gave you a, a pad and a pencil today, you can answer these questions on a true, uh, true false. It's just a true false. Thing. I'm not going to give you the pad and pad, but you could just, well, just use your imagination. Here's the first question, right? I have at least once spent m money unwisely. <laughs> Number two, I have at least once compared myself to someone else financially. Number three, I have felt guilt over the affluence of my lifestyle. Number four, I have wished that I was more generous. True or false? You know, it's interesting as um, in our society today, and once, let's just think about our society today, but also let's just go back to Jesus' time and think about their society and put it into context. Um, so in our society today, it seems to me there seems to be this kind of way of, it's a little bit more, it seems to be narcissistic in many ways. Want more, make more, acquire more, hoard more. It's a cycle. And so, and as I teach um, on Philipp Philippians and Thessalonians, and when Paul was talking to his, all his different churches in the Roman culture, it was all about rank and pecking order. It was about this. It's all about rising up. It's about how much wealth you have and how much power you have and how much status you have. And the more status has to do with this rank and, and all, they called it honor in the Roman world. And so you don't want to be down here. You know, as I, when, when Paul was describing about being a servant or a slave, I mean, the servant, the slaves on the total, they were way down here. And he says, last, you don't want to be down here in the Roman culture, but Jesus, and so Paul says, this is the call of Christ, is to be humble, and not put, you have to put yourself way up here, and so in the Roman culture, it has everything to do with this, right, and even so to a certain degree today, it's about this, and so what Jesus is teaching us in this parable, it's not about this, it's about this. It's about this. It, it's, about, it's about the idea of living in and being not selfish, but about being selfless. It's about caring for each other. It's about the promise that Christ continues to place it upon our hearts. I, I love Winston Churchill. He says, you know, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. I like Winston Churchill, what he had to say there. I thought this is interesting. I had a conversation with my friend, one of my friends who works at Bargains and Blessings, and he handles a lot of the intake at Bargains and Blessings. Matter of fact, we got a truck. There it is. We will pick up your stuff. 
And I thought this is a real interesting thing he shared with me about stuff recently. I never had thought about it because a lot of times he's in charge of intake. So people call up and they say, hey, um, is this Barkin's bus? Yes, this is Barkin's bus. And he says, I need for you to come pick up our stuff. And then they have to ask a few more questions of like, okay, what is your stuff? And how much stuff do you have? And you know, a little bit so we understand a little bit more perspective about what is involved in picking up their stuff. And so um, what he's found is that a lot of times people will call up, you ready for this? And someone has died in the community and, they, and the family has come in and they've heard that we do a lot of great things with bargains and blessings and are helping his ministry and that we are able to sell a lot of the stuff and to be able to help the community, which is great. It's a great, great theme. So they call us up and say, hey, listen, um, my loved one died, but we need for you to come and get all the stuff in the next 48 hours. Because the lease is up, or we, you know, we've got to get it all cleaned out, and we're going back up north, and we're trying to loosen up. We're trying to, we're trying to tie up loose ends, right? So we got 48 hours to get the truck in. And you know what? It just hit me as I was doing this sermon preparation. You ready? Many times we, once again, we have spent a lifetime, a lifetime accumulating stuff. And within two hours, all the stuff is put into a truck. It goes down to a thrift store. And within a week, it's sold. Kind of puts it on perspective, doesn't it? It's kind of a, just kind of a really deeper perspective on our lives. And that's a true story. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we, we give. Who am I? Who are you? It's a great question. Some of those greater existential questions that Mr. Wesley asked us. And so Jesus is asking, hey, what are you doing with what I've given you? What are you doing with what I entrusted you? So Wesley says, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So let me just teach for a second. So this parable... Um, it, it's a great parable. And you know what's interesting I found as I um, did my detective work? Um, Matthew 25, as it plays out, I didn't realize this, but Jesus is telling these stories on a Tuesday, and he knows he's going to be dead on Friday. Now think about that. Because you've got to look at Matthew 25 where Matthew places these stories. And so there's got to be a sense of, um, well, first of all, it makes, reminds me that uh, how important these stories have to be. Because Jesus is telling them as his, as the, I mean, the, I mean, the sand's falling through the hourglass, right? I mean, the time is ticking. And so Jesus, there's a sense of urgency that Jesus needs to share this message to his people that time is ticking and that the theme that we find here in all three of these parables is well we talked looked at looked at last week about being compassionate you did the least of these you did it unto me but there's also this sense of being ready time's important what are we doing with our time and our talent and our our treasure 
And, and so we have that theme. So Jesus says, hey, listen, the time's ticking, so I'm telling you these stories. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, fr- Friday, they're going to nail him to the cross. And, and you know, also, I think is that um, I shared this devotion of last week at our SALT retreat, and we talked about the vision of our church, and I love this. I never had thought about it, but, you know, Jesus was always focused on today, 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 and he said, matter of fact, even as I shared with you all, he did talk about, hey, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries. Take care of tomorrow. This is focus on today, okay? But there is this verse that we find in Luke 9, 51. It's one of my favorite verses, and it really is really, it's really sets a tone for the gospel of Luke. And it says, and Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, which means Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem because he knew he had to fulfill his mission. His fulfill his mission was to be crucified, dead for our sins and be resurrected. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem today. But let me tell you, Jesus always had one eye on planning on tomorrow. Because when you look at these stories, there is this sense of element. It's a sense that, listen, be ready. Always be ready because I'm coming back, Jesus is revealing in these stories. So we have this story, you know, and what I love about this, Jesus spins this story. You have to, once again, look at the culture and the context. So the Bible says, and a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Okay, this is really important, and, and because, listen, this would have been an opportunity of a lifetime. Because, see, back then, if you look at the original context, if a, if a master was entrusting this astronomical amount of money to a servant, they would get a cut on it. They gave him some initiative to be proactive, to, to be able to go and do something with it. Because the more that they made, the, the more they would be actually a benefit. This is a true part of the culture back then. And so listen, we talk about a talent. You know what a talent's worth? Just off the, kind of just off the mark. A talent is worth actually 10,000 denarii, which would have been 10,000 days of a normal labor's work. Run the numbers on that. Well over a million bucks. You run just numbers, if, if you're making 15 bucks an hour, just a co- common laborer person, 15 bucks an hour these days, if you ran the numbers for 10,000 you know, 10, days, it'd be well over a million bucks. Okay, so you run the numbers on that. So listen, so one, he's got, one guy's got one talent, one's got two, and one's got five, okay? And so this would have been a fantastic opportunity for them to be able to to make something, to do something positive, to do something great. And so what we have to be really clear about this whole thing, and I kind of, once again, we look at the more cycle, the more that we have, the more that we have a tendency, want more, make more, acquire more, hoard more. We have to really understand who really owns all the money. We got to be clear about that because the money in this story, all the, the worth the, the, that's talked about in this story, the master really is the one who owns all the money. The servants have been entrusted with the money. Okay, and there's the thought. Did you get that? Teaching moment, Harold. You gone to meddling. Because see, I'm not preaching to the choir, but I am preaching to the choir. Okay. <laughs> See, when you look at the story, it really all belongs to the master. And that we, as the servants of Jesus Christ, we just have the privilege 
to be able to be entrusted with it and to be good stewards with what God has blessed us with. Can we amen on that? Okay, I'm just preaching the Bible. This is the, okay, so once upon a time, there's this, I got my Oreos illustration. So, true story. So there's this woman who was sitting in the airport and I believe she was in France. And so, um, and then she was sitting next to a person and obviously he was from, he was French and so they, she didn't speak French. And so uh, she had, uh, um, she had a bag of Oreo cookies. And so um, she was sitting there um, and so she reached in and, and lo and behold, when the bag was sitting between her and this other guy, he had the audacity, he reached over and he ate one of her cookies. And so she thought, man, what's wrong with this guy? I can't believe he had the audacity to eat one of my cookies. So she got it. She took a cookie and she ate one. Next thing you know, he reached in the bag and got another bag. He ate another one of her cookies. He's like, she's thinking, what is this guy's problem? I can't believe he eating my cookie. So anyway, they went back and forth and they ate the whole bag. Now listen, they got to the very end of the, of the Oreo cookie bag. And you're not going to believe it, but you know what that guy did? He had the audacity to go and get one of the last cookie and he broke it in half and gave her half of it. <laughs> Well, she was just beside herself. She couldn't believe that he would do such a thing with her bag of cookies. So anyway, they called for the plane. She got on the plane. And so he went in the back and she went to the front and she thought, well, what a loser. I can't believe it. He ate, he ate half my bag of Oreo cookies. Like this complete stranger. All of a sudden she looked in her back and she found her bag of Oreo cookies. She had been eating his cookies all along. <laughs> I love that story. You all probably heard that story. I know it's a corny story, but it's a great story, isn't it? That it reminds us of who really is the owner, right? So we look at the story. It's a great story. And so, you know, I was thinking of this last week, and I, let me just teach for a second. And listen, I... I, last night, I was trying to teach on this, and um, I, I don't think I did a very good job, but let me do, I'm going to call this God math, and so, y'all still with me? Everybody still with me? Choir, y'all still with me? Okay, good. All right, so good, because I'm going to keep on preaching. Okay, so anyway, so here we go. So in this story, you've got a guy who's got, you got one, and you got two and five, right? So I call this God math. So the guy who's got the one talent, he gets one, and then um, the idea in this story, and has everything you think has everything to do with addition. So one plus, well, the guy went and he dug a hole and what did he get out of his, with the one? He got a big fat zero. So you'd think that one plus zero would equal, what would equal one. Okay. That's simple math. Okay. So then you get to the other guy and he's got two and two plus two equals four. And we, well, that seems easy. And then you got this other guy who, well, he's a really overachiever. He gets five plus five, he ends up with 10. All right, so what's interesting is about these, these numbers is I always looked at the story and, and I always thought it was all about addition. But maybe there's really, the story's really not about addition. It's really about a multiplication. Because see, what's interesting is if you look at this um, and you call it, I call it Jesus math. So one times zero equals zero, which is nothing. What did the guy end up with? Nothing. And so the one who had two, well, he doubled, and it's really not adding. What it may be, it's two, and you double. And so maybe what the story is really about is 
multiplication. Jesus is always, I think that Jesus is more focused on multiplication than addition. I mean, when you think about the, that great story I was reflected upon this week about when Jesus, um, he changes the fish and the loaves. He started out with, what, five loaves and two fish? And he ended up feeding 5,000. Go figure. That story is not about adding. That story is about multiplication. So I was thinking about multiplication. Um, so that little, that kid, our kid, I don't know his name, came with his mom to the mentor program. And he's expecting to get one dinner. His mom's going to get a dinner. That's two dinners. But what's amazing, what happened, it's almost like the miracle of multiplication, isn't it? It's, it's this idea that all of a sudden, they don't go home with just one de- dinner in their belly. No, that they go home with 25 dinners to share with other people. And to me, that has everything to do with being the hands and the feet and voice of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So this story is really about, you know, there's this place in which, well done, my good and faithful servant. What does good and faithful mean? It means, hey, taking, taking the initiative, taking responsibility, taking risk. And then, so you have well done and good faithful servant, but you also have wicked and lazy. Do you get the two? And when Jesus calls out, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Then he also says, you wicked and lazy. So, and the little meaning there about lazy, it's really not just like being lazy and sitting back and, you know, um, sitting back on your, on your heels and doing absolutely nothing. It's about not doing anything with what I've been entrusted with in the time which I've given you. Because listen, by the way, don't miss the detail. They've all given the exact same amount of time. They've been given a different amount of responsibility as well. They've actually been given all the same amount of responsibility. They've been given different levels of, of wealth, but they've all given the exact same amount of time. So what are you doing? So I'll close with this. Um, I, I read this story several years ago, and actually I found it. Um, the guy's name is John Betchel, who was actually was a missionary, and his mother and father were missionaries in China many, many years ago, and so he was raised in China, and then because of the communism, they had to move from China to actually to Hong Kong, and so he continued to serve that community, and he realized there was this tremendous need for young people to do, have a place to be able to go. So God placed it upon his heart, John, to be able to come up with a camp for these kids, and so he had gone to, evidently he knew like the, one of the prime ministers or somebody that had to do with land in that particular area. And he went to him and he says, listen, um, can you sell me some property? And, and so well, they found some property and they, I think they wanted, I think they needed $40,000. He said, well, I don't have $40,000. So, I, I, so um, that didn't work out. Then they found an island. It was like seven, uh, seven uh, acres. And it was like, it was a really good opportunity. And then they, how much do you need that? And they said, well, we need $240,000. And he says, well, I don't have that. So then they finally found um, this piece of property 
that um, that it was there was an orphanage on it, but evidently it was not a very good place to be able to actually have an orphanage. And so they the people who had gone and invested in this orphanage had make a, I think they had a million dollars invested in this orphanage, and um, it had buildings already built on it. And so John said the orphanage. Uh, the the um, the governor's board of the orphanage said, "Listen, you know what? This isn't working out. We'll sell it to you, John." And so he said, "Well, how much do you need for it?" And he says, "Well, we need we need like I think we need at least two hundred forty thousand dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for this piece of property. We've already got a million invested in it, but we'll sell it to you for two hundred And so John says, "Oh my!" And so he took one of his friends out and said, "Listen." can you help me raise the money for this? Because they, they want about a quarter million dollars. And so the guy says, I can help you do that. So we went back to America and he came back and he said, I can help you raise the money because I think this is a fantastic idea. This is a perfect place, a perfect place to be able to build a camp for these young people. And so, um, so we, the guy goes back and he tries to raise the money and he gets, well, he gets nowhere. And so all he gets was a letter from a little girl and the little girl's name was Melinda Holmes, and she said, because she had heard this guy's testimony in church, and she says, um, uh, I, please use my ice cream money for you to be able to buy the camp for the kids in Hong Kong. And then she signed her name, and she put a dollar in it. This is back in the 1960s and 70s. So the guy from America who's come back to raise his money, he says, all, he says, how much did you get? John says, how much? He says, all I got is a dollar and this letter. And he sends it to John. So John takes the letter, then the dollar, and he takes it to the governor's board of this orphanage. And he says, would you consider this? And the guy says, you know, looked at him like, are you crazy? And we already got a million dollars invested in this. We want it probably at least a quarter million dollars. And he says, no, at least good. Take it back to the governance board and please at least admit it. Take it to him. So they take the letter, the little girl's ice cream money and the, do the dollar and the letter and they submit it to the governance board. And about a week later, they called John up and says, John, we'll accept your offer. All it took was one letter from a little girl and a dollar. See, that story is not just about addition. That story is about multiplication. So John, in this testimony, as I listened to it this last week, he asked us this question. I think it's a great question. You ready? What are you doing with your ice cream money? And by the way, just a thought just a thought. Do you know what Jesus' favorite um, Jesus' favorite flavor of ice cream might be? Oreo. Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> 